Welcome to How to Cover an Election, where four broadcast journalism students tackle an election campaign for the first time. Each week we're talking to experts in their fields as we look at all the key themes for the media in the build-up to the polls. We'll also talk you through our experiences of election coverage as the contest heats up. Welcome to a special episode of How to Cover an Election. We're excited to bring you our feature interview this week, but first, here's a preview of what's coming up in the second half of the episode. How are you all feeling after that? What do you feel like we've learned? Um, Finish your biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel, I feel good. It was exciting being in the spin room for the whole thing because um, you see how much of a... A game's the wrong word because they're taking it really seriously, but how, how tribal it is. You had the, the mm-hmm. parties all sat on their own little sofas in their little groups. They're quite honest, actually. When their man made a good point or woman made a good point, they'd be quick to celebrate but if they did something that they didn't like if their politician did something they didn't like they were also quick to kind of look at us and grimace or kind of put their hands on their heads and whatever so it was was interesting Mm -hmm. to see that behind the scenes but first of all we're used to seeing boris johnson and jeremy corbyn out of a campaign trail but what's it really like to spend every day fighting for an election this week gareth spoke to 2015 conservative candidate for newport west nicholas webb about his experience of campaigning So as a candidate then, how have you found engagement with the media? I think it has varied from election to election. The first time I stood in 2011, I was pretty much seen as the third party candidate in that constituency. So the focus was very much on um, the Labour incumbent, a very well-known, well-respected Lib Dem opponent who'd run Labour incredibly close in the 2010 general election. Obviously, the Lib Dems had the the knock after 2010. Um, and so to a certain extent, it was very difficult on that occasion to get anybody to notice me and talk about me. And I was trying to push stuff out and it was difficult to register. Then, in some ways, you had the very bizarre situation in 2012 with the Police and Crime Commissioner election, where there was far more media interest than there was interest amongst the voters and the public out there. Um, and because you only had the four police authorities across Wales, there was significant amount of Wales-wide media coverage. So, for example, with that um, the uh, I can't remember whether it was the Sunday politics at the time, whatever BBC were branding their Sunday lunchtime programme, did a head-to-head hustings for about 20 minutes with the, the four candidates for Gwent. Uh, we had ITV Wales out interviewing people on a regular basis. And it, it really was quite a step up um, from what I'd experienced at the Assembly elections. And yet it just wasn't being reflected when you actually met voters. And obviously the turnout for that was dreadful. Um, but at a media engagement level, it was quite significant. And they were really interested to hear more about the policy ideas that I wanted to bring forward, because that's a slightly different scenario, because it's a direct election. So, yes, I had to basically be within the bounds of conservative principles in what I was saying, but there was no line to take. Now, what we will have with the general election that's ongoing at the moment is candidates will be hammering the same line time and time again. Um, And when you actually get those documents sent through... I think the Conservatives still send me theirs. I have told them to stop, but I think they still send it to me. Um, if I open that up, I will read through it, and it will be word for word what you'll hear on the news from your your candidate. So quite a different scenario there, where there was more opportunity to put across an idea, mm-hmm. um, and that the, the media were keen to hear it. And I, I don't mean to be dismissive that they weren't keen to hear it in other elections, but I was just saying the same thing as David Cameron was saying, as Stephen Crabbe was saying, as many other politicians of far greater um, public awareness than me and far more experienced in the media than me. 
Uh, so the PCC election, in a way, was the most interesting one in terms of media engagement. And when you were out there talking to people on the doorstep, how did you feel that you were able to, to get through to people or did you feel like what you were talking about was being dictated by what people were seeing covered in the national media, what they were seeing, you know, potential prime ministers were saying in the morning was dictating what you were doing then in the afternoon? Do you know what? I suspect at this election that we're, we're in the cycle of at the moment, it might be quite different because you've got quite polarising figures leading both parties. In truth, in my experience, you ended up with a very bizarre array of things on the doorstep. I think to a certain extent, particularly with the general election, um, I mean, my political party, but I'm, I'm sure it's the same with Labour and the Lib Dems um, and probably with Plaid as well. They so drill the candidates to have the lines on the big stories and to keep talking about probably no more than four or five issues maximum that you actually get slightly taken aback when you knock on somebody's door and they raise quite possibly a very localised issue that you hadn't considered beforehand. Um, and it's quite a good test as a candidate because it makes you think on your feet about it and it just reminds you that actually outside the bubble there are a whole lot of these other issues that aren't really being discussed. Um, I suppose if you actually tallied it up, yes, probably the big media stories um, do carry the day. But I, I think we... There's quite a distinction between what's called the air war of, of, of the media um, publicity around certain policies and actually what you're hearing um, on the doorstep. That sort of ground war can be based far more on a very localised issue, um, sometimes in a not particularly healthy, very reactionary way. It might be a proposal for a new housing development that you absolutely you know, raise the rhetoric on and talk about how disastrous this could be, despite the fact that you're probably standing for a party that's advocating we need to build 100,000 more homes every year. Um, that consistency seems to go out the window at that point. Um, so I do think that there's, there's quite a distinct difference. You will get caught out if you think you're going to go in and only get those few questions. And the same thing happens with hustings as well. You quite often get left field questions that you are not anticipating um, in, in that scenario. But probably it does even out to be the big policy stories that the parties are trying to push at a national level or whatever the scandal is that the parties are trying to cover up, which is also the case often. And following that from a journalist's point of view, then, do you feel that you're interrogated or cross-examined more on the doorstep or by journalists that, that are encountering you on the campaign trail? Honestly, in my experience, probably more on the doorstep. Um, it's I, I think the pressures on the media during an election, when there is so much going on, are significant. And it can be difficult for someone to actually push on and drill down with that additional question. And we've seen some interesting coverage this week, and I'm not going to get too much into the story, but there's been the sense of a, a potential cover-up. And I think that what we've seen from the BBC has been quite um, encouraging that they've kept going at those key questions. There's probably been two or three stories they could have run the headlines with, but they realised there might be more to this. We will find out in due course, probably. At the moment, it's all alleged. But um, I think you've seen that level of interest. Now, you just wouldn't get that as a candidate out on the campaign trail. You need to get your soundbite in. I suspect there are probably journalists who would like to talk to some candidates a lot longer, and I'm sure there'd be some they wish they could talk to a lot less. Um, but it's difficult to go into much detail. Um, one thing you can do in that scenario, and particularly this works with the very local press, you wouldn't get it necessarily with Wales wide media, but say, I mean, where I was standing, South Wales Argus, the local paper, there is scope to build a bit of a rapport with the journalist. So I remember during the 2015 election, I was against um, uh, Paul Flynn, the Labour incumbent at the time, 
who uh, had a very strong reputation for being opposed to pretty much any UK intervention anywhere else in the world. Um, and we did clash at, um, at a particular hustings about whether the UK should intervene in Syria. Um, and I remember on the back of that having a long conversation with their journalist afterwards. And that was never going to get turned into an article. But what it did do was it just laid the groundwork of, yes, Nick's got something different to say than um, his opponent. But also he can think for himself rather than just parrot out the, the party lines. And following on from that point... Did you see there was a difference in coverage between, we take Wales as an example, as a bubble, between what you were having from the South Wales Argus on a local level, or almost a hyper-local level, and what you were seeing then regionally, Wales Online, or even nationally? Obviously, there's more being done by the hyper-local print papers, but did you see a different approach to, to the election coverage between them? Do you know what? I think a lot comes down to the individual. When you're talking about... Um a small, smallish local paper with quite a high turnover of staff typically, if you get somebody there who's got a real political interest, then you get much deeper, more interesting coverage. Um, I think I've been fortunate on, on a number of my elections. I've stood there when there's been somebody of, of that nature. Um, but too often, and I've seen it in other locations, um, the journalist who ends up with the political brief perhaps doesn't have a passion for it. And, you know, we're, we're talking about a passion for very localised politics here. It's not necessarily a mainstream hobby to have. Um, when you don't get that, then I think probably the candidates get a slightly easier ride than they should do, bearing in mind how much power they have once when somebody is elected. Absolutely. And you said about Paul Flynn in, in Newport, obviously a very popular figure in Newport West. Well, people had a view on him. It, it was either good or bad. There wasn't anybody who didn't know him, let's put it that sure. way. <laughs> Did you feel then, when you were standing against him in 2015, that there was fair coverage overall between yourself as a challenger and the incumbent MP at the time? I think when you get to the election period, everybody is very careful to ensure that there's balanced coverage. The challenge comes um, in in the build-up to that. So um, I, I can't remember exactly offhand, but I think I was selected um, about nine months before the election. It might have been slightly more than that. Um, And in that window, it's difficult. And the reason it's difficult is not that there's any desire to give uh, a biased approach. I'm absolutely convinced every effort is made to avoid that. But if you consider the situation I have in Newport, it's a Labour-run council. They've got a press officer. There's two Labour AMs. There's two Labour MPs. They've all got communications officers. Everything I was doing, and no doubt the same for the Lib Dems and Plaid Cymru as well, was relying on volunteers. So simply the fact that there are people who are professionally able to get the message across is going to give the advantage to incumbents where you've got an area with a significant leaning towards one party. So I don't think the journalists did anything wrong, but I think it is quite a challenge for the um, challenger parties to, to get their message across in such a way. So having sat on the other side of that divide to where we are for our first election ever... What piece of advice would you give us in terms of trying to get through to the potentially the smaller candidates without that machinery around them? What advice would you give us? I think it is worth trying to drill down on what the individual thinks. It's very easy to get the headline based on whatever the party line of the day is. Um, in some cases, you get quite comprehensive amounts of information briefed centrally. Um, I saw some of the stuff around the 2017 election and it was incredibly thin. Um, so I think if you drill down on that, then you start to get to know what makes that candidate tick. And all candidates who put themselves forward are doing so 
because they do believe that their own view is going to make their community better. It, it's a bit of a hiding to nothing to be a candidate unless you're very fortunate you get selected in a safe seat. Um, so their motivations are going to be good. There's going to be a reason why they're doing it. Find out what that reason is, and you're probably going to be telling your readers or your listeners or your viewers something far more interesting about that candidate than just parroting the line that Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn has given them to say. And a final question from me then. How much did you feel the media was a tool or a hindrance during your campaigns? I think it was a tool, but too often it was a tool that was very difficult for me to access. Um, I, I can't think of any scenario in which I would say it was a hindrance. There were occasions where it would be frustrating, uh, particularly, say, reading a write-up of a Hustings event, uh, where you could see every effort had been made to ensure that each candidate got one good comment on there, maybe one criticism, but it was all balanced up. And actually, you were thinking back to it, and you know that that wasn't the way it, it was. That was a um, debate in which you had four candidates, some of which performed far better than than others. Um, it's it's for others to make the judgment as to which side of that I was on. That's that's a separate matter. Um, but I think when you bear in mind that it's something like a Hustings, it's a very self-selecting audience that doesn't reach many people. Actually, that report of it is really important. Um, and I think there needs to be a way found that is giving both a fair account in terms of what the candidates have to say, but also is a fair re reflection of that meeting itself. Sometimes that gets added to on, on things like social media. I, I remember one journalist from the Argus was recording little clips and um, uploading that to Twitter during it. So that gives a bit more of an impression of it. But when it's just a written up article, it can be quite difficult to really get a feel for it. And a lot of voters are going to be reading that article looking for a bit of a steer as to who the most engaging candidates are. Nicholas Webb, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Nick Webb, former Conservative parliamentary candidate. I'll come to Will for some immediate reaction first, Then, What do you think, Will? The thing I found really interesting was the fact that he was talking about on the doorstep, these candidates are drilled with certain big stories. So he said, yeah, I might have four or five stories that you know every line on. And then if someone asks you something that is more localised, you have no idea what to say. I thought it was so interesting because we're, we're hearing again, I think we discussed this on one of the other pods, that this is being branded as the Brexit election. So these candidates are going to knock on doors and they're going to have one answer on Brexit, they might have one on climate change, maybe one on immigration and a couple of other subjects. And if someone says, why are the potholes still there in the road near my house? That's not going to be a thing they're going to be able to answer. And so I thought that was a really interesting thing to think about because we constantly hear about candidates being weak on the economy or weak on whatever. But what if you're weak on potholes or... <laughs> You know, it is a real yeah, problem. I find that really interesting as well, just the fact that they're interrogated more by the public than the media, which seems kind of backwards, doesn't it? But I guess as journalists, I guess there's pressure on the media to cover stories which have a greater reach, like Brexit, like climate change, that can apply to every area, rather than hyper-local stuff, which will actually be important to people you're knocking doors on as a candidate. So yeah, I thought that was that was really interesting for me as well. It was the fact he said you might have to go against the party as well, that you might have to, your party's advocating building 200,000 houses, but you might have to say in your local constituency, no, we're not going to build any more houses because we're keen yeah. to protect this bit of land or whatever. So a bit of yeah. a constituency, like national type of debate and rock yeah, about yeah, what is right and what's wrong. Yeah. Obviously it's going to be individual to each constituency and what's going on within there. And you should really be doing that because you're representing that constituency. Yeah, like, I think we often forget you're not, I mean, you're not voting for the leader of the party. You are voting for that particular representative. Yeah. So coming to you, Gareth, did it surprise you that Nick had to work solely in terms of the media when the incumbent already had a press officer, per se? 
I think it did really. I think when you're you're watching or consuming the media from outside, from from the other side of of the screen or the the microphone, you kind of see them all on a level playing field. Especially as broadcasters are given sort of equal equal time or equal weight to to different parties. So you kind of expect them to all start off on the same footing. Of course, what Nick said it makes it makes absolute perfect sense. You know, if you're in a city, a town, constituency, whatever, where um, the incumbent has several councillors who've been elected, then they have all that political machinery around them. Um, and more importantly than any of that, I think, is the fact that you also have the links with journalists. Mm. You know, if you're if you're the 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 incumbent MP, then you will have been speaking to all of the broadcasters, all of the local press over the last parliamentary um, cycle, and you'll have you know most likely have them um, you know on on email on on. On your phone, whatever. Whereas for for a candidate trying to break into into that circle, they're starting from scratch. And coming back to you, then, Will, do you think that the media and candidate relationship is an important thing during this electoral oral campaign? It's definitely an important thing. I think Nick said in that interview there that you can establish a rapport with certain journalists, and that's got to be valuable if you're a candidate. Um, we've experienced, and we'll talk a little bit more about it when we talk about our experience of the ITV debate. Um, but we've experienced chatting with press officers and with candidates um, and both of them are they're often keen to talk to you even though we're just student journalists they're often keen to talk to you because it's important for them to to be given a fair hearing and they're more likely to get that if they have a bit of a rapport with the journalist so if anything it's more of a challenge for the journalists and for the media to not be sucked in by what the candidates say and with, mm -hmm. by how friendly they are and to make sure you remain objective mm -hmm. it's the whole old saying as well any publicity is good publicity in that way and you heard how he said the media was a tool, but it was a tool that was hard for him to access. And I guess that is a byproduct of the fact that these other parties had these media machines and the media machines will have had contacts in the media and that is that kind of relationship. Whereas him on his own, he's more isolated, he finds it hard to make those contacts and he doesn't have that relationship, so he's less likely to get as much coverage in the media, is he? You're listening to How to Cover an Election. You can keep up with our coverage on Twitter and Instagram at HowToElection. It's been another exciting week here at How to Cover an Election. After chatting to ITV's political editor Adrian Masters at last week's Lib Dem event, he was kind enough to invite us to the ITV Wales debate on Sunday evening. This is what happened. So it's How to Cover an Election back on tour again in the ITV Bay studios. Looking forward to tonight's election debate with Adrian Masters. Uh, Gareth, what are you looking forward to most? It's quite nice to be here. The biscuits are nice. The, the food's nice. We've had a <laughs> cup of coffee. No, in all seriousness, um, it'd just be nice to be behind the scenes and see how these things work. Um, they've become more commonplace in British politics over the last couple of years or over the last decade. Um, it'd be nice to see how it works, really. Um, it's really nice for ITV to have us here. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited for it. It's just really interesting as well. We just had a short tour around the, the studio, which is actually tiny compared to what you see on TV. And yeah, we're going to go sit in the soft area and watch the debate unfold and then hopefully grab an interview with Adrian afterwards. I'm enjoying it. I'm here sipping from my ITV mug. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it, I'm, well, part of what I was looking forward to was just seeing how it all worked beforehand, which we've just seen with Adrian Masters telling us mm -hmm. all the prep that he does. So then the other path will be, I think we're going to sit and watch it with the party spin people. So it'll just be interesting to see how they react to what's going on as it happens. We've just finished the debates here at ITV down the bay. Just had a talk with Adrian Masters, been really interesting. And Liz Savile Roberts as well of the Plaid Cymru. Really interesting talking to both of them. Just want to come to you all. How are you all feeling after that? What do you feel like we've learned? Um, 
Finish your biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel I feel good. It was exciting being in the spin room for the whole thing because um, you see how much of a, a game's the wrong word because they're taking it really seriously. But how how tribal it is. You had the the mm. parties all sat on their own little sofas in their little groups. They're quite honest actually. When their man made a good point or one made a good point, they'd be quick to celebrate but if they did something that they didn't like if their politician did something they didn't like they were also quick to kind of look at us and grimace or kind of put their hands on their heads and whatever so it was, it was interesting to see that behind the scenes yeah. yeah i mean i think these people work around each other every day in terms of they, they all know each other quite well these these campaign teams um, and this is kind of the the match, isn't it, or their end of season final almost for a lot of them. <laughs> I was going to say it's and like you, a bunch of mates who go to the pub to watch the football, yeah, but they support two different teams. You get that from um, from sitting in a room like this. So it was a really good opportunity for us to to sit in on that because not everyone gets that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Evan, I think in terms of the atmospherics of the room is about how people were sort of like you said clenching their fists at one point thinking damn why has he said that or thinking oh that's a good point we've beaten Labour on this or we've beaten the Lib Dems on that or they produce a good point but for me the personal thing was when we just spoke with Liz Savile Roberts then a point that I was interested about was she said about debates not being just maybe location wise but how far they can reach and it was something I've never really thought of so for me I'd like to sort of develop and think about that sort of point Liz has made for us going forward. Uh, What about the debate itself? I don't think any party ever leaves feeling 100% happy. They go in with what they want to happen. They go in with what they fear may happen. Mm-hmm. And I think they usually settle for something in between. You can almost see in the, in the, in the back rooms after the debate, everyone almost sigh, have a sigh of relief. And, and you, can, you, know, you, can, you can tell that in, in terms of... Liz Silver Roberts alluded to it earlier when we were speaking to her afterwards, um, when she said that she doesn't feel like these things ever change a load of people's minds. People come into into a debate with the idea of who they're going to vote for, and sometimes they like hearing the points that that confirm that bias or, or don't. Yeah, it was it was an interesting debate. Mm-hmm. It's very different, I think, when you've got these regional debates or national in Wales debates. They are different to the UK debates. They can be a little bit more. You can catch people a little more off guard. There's less. They're less spun. Even if those people backstage are trying to spin them to the to their utmost, um, so it feels a little bit more real, and that comes across in in the actual debate between Adrian Masters, who was presenting it, between the politicians, and between the the spin people behind scene. They can all prep as much as they want, but at the end of the day, when the spotlight comes down, they're in the say they're there under the scrutiny, under the cosh, and under the heat of the battle. Anything can happen. So you can do all the preparing in the world, but anything can happen on the night, really. It's going to be really interesting to compare the rest of the debates now that we have coming up, this being the first one. We've got loads of good stuff tonight and we're going to do a special on debates that's going to come out, <laughs> I think, in mid-November. So if you're enjoying this little chat we're having here, then make sure you tune in because Adrian Masters gave us a, like, a really good interview from behind the scenes. Got loads more coming, so listen to that. Yeah, yeah we're going to go December, steal some more of ITV's biscuits. <laughs> good night. So that was us down at ITV Wales' base studios watching the event. Uh, Will, what do you think? I had a really good time. Everything was exciting for us because we're just trying to get our first starts in this industry. So even things as simple as drinking out of ITV coffee mugs and things like that was exciting. And it eating was, the biscuits and sandwiches. And eating all the... I had far too many of the biscuits. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was also just exciting to kind of see how it all runs behind the scenes. So we got given a little briefing sheet beforehand. We knew when everyone was going to arrive. They were all going into makeup. Mm. And then you see these guys who on stage are kind of enemies, I suppose, for the night including the, the Adrian Masters as well as the moderator. And then they all kind of mill around backstage after it was finished, just having a cup of tea and, and you know, like saying goodbye to each other before they head off. So it was, it was just really interesting to see, like, behind the curtain. What did you think then, Chloe? 
I love the fact that we got a bit of a tour around the studio as well, seeing all the, the podiums. And actually, I think we were all quite shocked how small the studio actually is. I think it's much smaller than our mock studio here at CJS. And that, you know, how clever camera angles are in making you know, the studio seem a lot bigger than it actually is in reality. And yeah, just sitting with the press, with all the press teams of the candidates on the telly, reacting in real time, you know, whether it was a yes and a fist bump or like head in hands moment, um, <laughs> which uh, there were a couple. It was just really, it, it was really just surreal. And a personal highlight for you, Gareth? I think just how open and, and willing to chat to us everybody was, you know, you're, you're in the middle of what is the network's big political night potentially of this entire campaign, ITV Wales is. And they couldn't have been more hospitable to us. And I don't just mean the biscuits and sandwiches. I mean the fact that they all took their time to talk to us um, when they certainly had other things that, that they were getting on with at the same time. And also the, the political parties themselves. You know, we were speaking with with uh, with staff from the Brexit party. Liz Savile-Roberts gave us um, plenty of her time after the debate. And Adrian Masters, again, I, you know, I can't I can't praise him and thank him enough mm. for how much he did He's definitely a fan of our podcast. Yeah, let's hope so, because he's, he's going to be on it enough times. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But that's it from us today. But we'll be back with a full episode at the usual time of Friday morning, where this week we'll be discussing Vox Pops and the student votes. Here's how you can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash howtoelection. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at howtoelection. We are also now on Apple Podcasts on iTunes, so please... Find us on iTunes, give us a review. Every review really helps us getting more listeners, so give us a review on that. But until Friday, goodbye. 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 Goodbye.